every song you chose was like, I don't even need to talk. <laughs> but then she comes and talks. <laughs> and talks and talks and talks. Okay. So, here we are. I'll go easy on you this time. <laughs> we learned that Jesus will judge the motives of our heart. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 tells us to do that. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So that's how we deal with the motives of our hearts, ladies. We do everything to the glory of God. You wash the dishes, you change the diapers, you drive the kids to school, whatever you do. So let's deal with the glory of God. Now, did you know that our brains weigh about three pounds, give or take an ounce? Did you know that we only use one-tenth of one percent of our brain? That's pretty pathetic, huh? Did you know that we lose 21,000 brain cells a day which cannot be regenerated? And that's probably why the saran wrap ended up in the refrigerator, but I don't want to talk about it. <clears throat> and here's a mind blower. You don't even think with your brain. What? You don't think with your gray matter. You think with your spirit. When you die, your gray matter is going down to the grave with you. That works your neurological system. You process everything in the spirit of your mind. That means if you're talking to someone who's even destroyed his gray matter with drugs or whatever, you have a disabled person who can't function 100% in their gray matter, do you know that they have a perfect soul that can receive the gospel? Oh, God is so gracious. How can the finite ever grasp the infinite? <laughs> How can we who are so trapped in time grasp the eternal? Now, if I were a scholar or any kind of intellect, which I do not have, perhaps you've noticed that, <laughs> I would use all sorts of big fancy words to describe the glory of God. And I would use, and I'm going to borrow some from some big brain people, intrinsic glory and ascribed glory. And they really do well when I tell you what it means. Intrinsic glory is basically who and what God is. All his attributes to sum up the glory of God. That's intrinsic glory. The inexhaustible sum of everything that he is. So the glory of God refers to his manifested presence. And one of the ways he manifests himself is visible light. John God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Habakkuk 3.3, 3, I love this. His splendor covers the heavens, and the earth is full of his praise. His radiance is like the sunlight, and he has rays flashing from his hands. Light. God whispers his glory in his creation. God speaks in full voice in his word, through the prophets and the Old Testament, but God shouts his glory in his son. Hebrews 1. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. So we can see the glory of God in the face of Christ, the glory of God shines fully in the person of Jesus Christ. That's intrinsic glory. Now, a theologian would talk to you for four more days about that, but I'm not going to. We're going on. Ascribe glory. I'm not glad. Ascribe glory. 
is how we honor him by acknowledging who he is and what he can do. First Chronicles 16, 28 and 29, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord glory due his name. So when we ascribe glory due his name and use words like almighty, holy God, we're just not talking about something wonderful and awesome, but dangerous. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It says so in the Bible, Hebrews 10, 31. Look what happened when the Lord visited Mount Sinai, Exodus 19. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently. God got the people ready for him to come down on Mount Sinai by setting boundaries for them. Exodus 19.12 says, You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Beware that you do not go up on the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely die. God imposed the death penalty on anyone who violated the boundary set up by the awesome, almighty God. And in Matthew 17, we see Christ giving Peter, James, and John a tiny glimpse of his glory on the Mount, Trans uh, Mount of Transfiguration. And those men and their tiny little three-pound three brains passed out. Time after time, when humans got a glimpse of God's glory, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, they fell flat on their faces. John fell down as if he were dead. Isaiah, he was undone. It's actually, it means there was a violent undoing of himself. He was collapsing in the presence of God's holiness. These souls saw what God was like in his glory and they buried their faces in the dirt, the dirt from whence they came. God blasted Job with his glory from the storm until Job fell apart. I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. We worship a tender father as well as a consuming fire. Tozer called it the awful and incomprehensible abyss. In Exodus 33, Moses asked God to describe himself so that he would know who it was who was going with him when they journeyed to the promised land. And then Moses went further and said, I pray you, show me your glory. What was Moses asking? He was asking if he could step beyond the boundaries of human understanding and know God in ways that are unknowable. And God mercifully held back because he knew if his glory was fully exposed, Moses and his little three-pound brain would explode into a million pieces. His soul would not be able to absorb it. His body would not be able to tolerate it. To see God in all of his glory would kill him. We forget how powerful and truly awesome our holy God is because we live under such mercy and such grace. 
We can praise and thank God for restraining his awesome glory on this earth to a level that doesn't overwhelm us. Here's the bottom line. And this pertains to our motives. You see, if we were to tell ourselves the truth, we really just want our glory. We want our husband's glory. We want our children's glory, our grandchildren. And we would be completely, completely honest. We really don't care that much about God's glory. Most of the time. And you can tell that by the choices you make in the big things and especially in the small things on a day-to-day basis. Life matters. Choices matter. Are those choices are going to end up at the bima, which means judgment seat. Okay, that is the Greek word for judgment seat, bima, just to clarify. And you're either going to have all those motives burn up in wood, hay, and stubble of our lives, or they will come forth as gold, and you will not be ashamed, but you will hear well done. Now, to wrap up our day, we're going to address just two questions. How can the glory of God shine out of us, and how can we see the glory of God all around us? And you'll be happy to know that the answer to these two questions are exactly the same. <laughs> but before I answer them, I want to take a quick look, quick look at a moment in Abraham's life that's very instructive for us. Now, earlier, when Abraham walked up that mountain, willing to sacrifice his only son, the blazing glory of God radiated out of him. We talked about that earlier. We marvel at Abraham's magnificent trust in God, unflappable faith. We look at him and we can't even imagine ourselves doing such a courageous thing. But what was Abraham doing on the page before in the Bible? <laughs> before he walked up that mountain, we might relate a little bit better to that moment because of the page before he walked up that mountain, glowing with the glory of God, he was lying. He was putting his wife's life in danger while he protected himself, his selfish little self, so that it would go well with him. The walk up the mountain happens in Genesis 22. The lying happens in chapter 20. So in chapter 20, Isaac hadn't been born when Abraham was lying to Abimelech, the king of Gerar. And by the time Abraham is walking up the mountain in chapter 22, Isaac could have been as old as 20 years old. So a lot of years happen between chapter 20 and chapter 22. Something very interesting happens in Genesis 20. It's the first time the word pray is used in the Bible. It's the first time the word prayed is used in the Bible. The word pray occurs when Abraham is lying to Abimelech, telling that Sarah was his sister. I find this fascinating. Verse 3, it says, God came to Abimelech in a dream and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman who you have taken, for she is married. He finds this out from God, not Abraham. God goes on to say in verse 7, Abraham is a prophet and he will pray for you and you will live. This is amazing. All right? And then in verse 17, it says, Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maid. I mean, this is fascinating. This was not the first situation when Abraham lied and implemented his own idea trying to save his own life. He did the same thing 25 years before that. But even in the midst of Abraham's deception and treachery, God says to Abimelech, 
Abraham will pray for you and you will live. Intercessory prayer. And because of the prayer, Abraham witnessed God's healing touch on Abimelech, his wife, and his maid so that they all could conceive. After this prayer, the very next event in the Bible records the birth of Isaac. So now Abraham sees the promise fulfilled, and in the next chapter, he's walking up that mountain believing God, shining to the glory of God. Isn't that amazing? And prayer played a very important part of that. But how often do we live on the page before? (laughs) Not trusting, not believing, not praying, but implementing our own good ideas that we're never short of, rather than trusting the infinite wisdom of God. How often do we try to solve our own problems our own way? We fail to pray to God. We fail to believe God. We fail to wait on God. And we fail to hope in God. And that's the reason why the word of God compares us to sheep. Dr. MacArthur always called the dirty, dumb, dangerous sheep. I love that. We're dirty, dumb, and dangerous. Dirty. Eye twitching. I remember I was visiting you, my friend, in Boston hundreds of years ago. (laughs) And I saw sheep for the first time. And I'd never seen sheep. I'd never seen them up close. And you know that their, their eyes twitch. They go like this. They're so afraid. They're like, and they were in this cage. We were out somewhere picking some apples. Do you remember? It's coming to you. Anyway, there was a there was a thing here, and then there was one little opening that took them over here. Well, the sheep were running all over, and they couldn't find the opening. And the goat was on top, going, "It's right here. <laughs> it's right here." And they're like, ah! I mean, they're so terrified. Anyway, we went off and picked something, whatever it was, and we came back, and they finally made their, and they were like this. They were on the other side. They made it. That little. I mean, it was just, I saw myself. I said, well, there I am. <laughs> Eyes twitching at all. And then my, my British friend, Claire, she was raised over there in London. I always think she was raised in the castle. She goes, no, I didn't live in the castle. But she helped her friend one time. A storm was coming, and they had to get sheep into the barn. Well, she said, three hours we tried to get the sheep into the barn. They were, we had the nice light on. It looked so beautiful in the barn. We had the door open. They'd come right to the door and go, what? And they'd run over then. And we're chasing the sheep all over the back. And the dog gave up. I'm not going to deal with these sheep. They're dirty and dumb. They're dumb. Sound familiar? And dangerous. Do you know that if a sheep escapes and finds itself on a craggy rock in a high mountain, the shepherd will actually have to wait until the sheep is almost dead before he moves in to save it because the sheep could kill the shepherd. Because they has split hooves on the sheep and they're very sharp and dangerous And if they're frightened, they panic and absolutely could rip them apart. Dirty, dumb, and dangerous. That's what we are. When we see ourselves at those dirty, dumb, and dangerous sheep, we can then start to see how foolish it is for us to try to solve our own problems. We need to walk up the mountain with Abraham. So let's get to our questions. How can the glory of God shine out of us? 2 Thessalonians 1, so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you and him. 
And how can we see the glory of God all around us? Isaiah 6, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The first point, pray with submission. See, we end where we began. Pray with submission. Most Christians go through life praying very little. I know you pray in the car, you pray in the shower, while you're washing the dishes, and that's all good because that helps us to worship in the middle of the muddle. But many Christians muddle through life with very little separate time of just prayer. When you fail to pray, you are most likely taking matters into your own hands and implementing your own ideas like Abraham did on the page before he walked up the mountain. But the best way is to repudiate our own wisdom and elevate the infinite wisdom of God through prayer with submission. And we looked at Hannah. We looked at Hannah who did that. She's a great illustration of praying with submission. And we talked all about her. Hannah couldn't fix her problems. And that woman was vicious. She was a quintessential bully. But your insistence on getting your own way is stopping you from your spiritual growth and stopping you from the joy of seeing God in everything. So as you develop a worship-based prayer life with submission, you're going to unclench your fists and you're going to start to see God jump into the middle of every situation in stunning ways as he works out his purposes through you. You're actually going to see it in real time, like Joseph did. Then you start to see him everywhere. You know that mailbox moment I told you about? The reason we figured it out later, the reason we were so stunned, I mean, no one was chasing us. There was no one. Around. We ran like someone was chasing us. The glory of God chased us. My husband is unflappable. Nothing moves him. The man is a race car driver, driving things. He used to drive cars 306, 326 miles an hour. Nothing bothers this guy. He ran like he was being chased for his life. And we realized that we got a tiny, tiny, little minuscule taste of the glory of God in a silly mailbox. And we were undone. We were undone. We were in stunned amazement. You know, one young girl we were counseling was telling us that she <laughs> didn't think about God all day. And this is why I'm not a counselor, because I'm really bad at it. So I jump up out of my seat. How can you possibly go through the day without thinking about God? Isn't that terrible? I mean, she's like this. <laughs> I mean, really? You <laughs> I, I, I don't counsel, please. I don't counsel. <laughs> You can live your whole life in stunned amazement at God, but you have to have the habit of praying with submission. And it does start with a set-aside time for prayer. If you set aside specially, don't study during that time. Just pray. And I always say pray out loud. I, it, it makes a difference. Especially if you have a sin to confess, confess it out loud. I'm telling you, you probably won't do it again. Because it's so horrible to hear what you've done out loud. I don't know. There's some kind of accountability. The Holy Spirit is doing something I don't even understand. Because when I say something out loud that I've done that was horrible, man, I will never want to do it again. <clears throat> Pray with submission. Believe, second point, <clears throat> believe with obedience. How can the glory of God shine out of us on a daily basis? You shine by believing God. 
Romans 4.20, Abraham did not waver in his unbelief, uh, no, did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. <clears throat> Dr. MacArthur says, believing God affirms his existence and character and thus gives him glory. So when you believe him, you're giving him glory. You bring glory to God when you believe and trust him for how he will work things out. That's the hard part. And that's what Abraham did when he walked up that mountain. He didn't know how God was going to work that out. But he believed God and he obeyed. He didn't do it on the page before when he was lying, but he sure believed him and obeyed him when he walked up that mountain. So we shine when we believe God and obey his word. That brings him glory and gets your motives in the proper place. And that's going to be at your bema, baby. <laughs> believe in God's infinite wisdom. Obey his word. No matter what is happening, no matter how scary it gets, and it gets scary. And no matter how desperate or sorrowful, believe him in the dark. Obey him when you don't understand. Isaiah 42, 16 says, I will bring the blind by a way that they know not. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them and not forsake them. Pray with submission, believe with obedience, and third, you wait with hope. Have you ever prayed through a situation and actually waited to see how God would work things out? Look at how Habakkuk waited with hope. When Habakkuk got a glimpse of God's power, it made him sick to the very marrow of his bones. God had let him know as an act of judgment that God was going to send the Chaldeans to invade his chosen yet disobedient people. So God would vindicate his righteousness and restore a repentant people, but the invasion would first take place. So the whole encounter with God and his glory and the thought of this terrifying invasion from the Chaldeans left Habakkuk exhausted, sick, and overwhelmed. Habakkuk 3.16 says, I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay entered my bones. And in my place, I tremble because I must wait quietly for the day of distress for the people who will arise and who will invade us. Look how he waits though. Habakkuk 3.18. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Wow. Even though there was nothing, no figs, no fruit, empty stall, nothing, the only thing Habakkuk had at this time was the promise that the Chaldean invasion was coming. And yet look at his response to wait quietly, to rejoice in the Lord and to take joy in the God of my salvation. 
to have joy in this type of a situation is a supernatural gift. Believing God is a supernatural, gracious gift of God. Habakkuk realized that God was not to be worshipped merely because of temporal blessings, but for his own sake and for his own glory. Ladies, it's hard to wait. I know, very impatient. Impatience is just another word for pride. It's hard to wait. And in some situations, you have no choice but to wait because there's nothing you can do. Like a sick child, a wayward, an unsaved child. My friend just just a year ago gave birth to a baby, 24 weeks, one pound, nine ounces, four months early. And all those parents could do was wait and pray and wait. And oh, we prayed. And actually the world prayed. We were stunned by how much the world prayed. And that baby a year later is fine and there's nothing the matter with him. And he's the most beautiful boy. And even the nurses and the doctors said, this is a miracle. This just doesn't happen. But the parents could do nothing. They stood over that incubator. He was in the NICU for six months. They could do nothing but believe and obey and wait with hope. It's uncomfortable to wait. Oh, it was. Because you come face to face with yourself, you come face to face with your unbelief. God is not on our, t- our timetable. Did you notice that? <laughs> and that can be very disturbing to us. You come face to face with your strong to di- desire to do something to fix the problem. You don't believe prayer can do anything, so you stop praying. And when you stop praying, you've stopped waiting. And when you've stopped waiting, you've stopped believing. And you get that deadly silence of prayerlessness. You don't want that silence. And maybe you're just too weary and you're beaten down by life and you've run out of hope. And you can't wait and you certainly can't pray. And you know what? Hope doesn't mean anything to you because the glory of God doesn't mean anything to you. When you're discouraged and disheartened and depressed, waiting, scared, and someone tries to encourage you and talks about the hope of glory and the hope of eternal life and the hope of salvation and the living hope and hope that doesn't disappoint, you think, who cares about hope that doesn't do anything to my situation? That's how honest you have to be with God, okay? You can't see hope. You can't touch hope. Hope can't help you because hope cannot give you what you want. So now you're hopeless. And when you are hopeless, you have developed a callous indifference to the real purpose of your existence. You're too invested in your own self, your own stuff, your own agenda to care about hope you can't see. The Westminster Catechism says, what is the chief end of man, the answer to glorify God? and enjoy him forever. Imagine that. There's nothing in that statement about our agendas. I was not in there. (laughs) And we can be just like those Israelites who cared only about wanting their immediate desires gratified. 
The bottom line is this. When you have lost hope, you aren't getting the glory you deserve. You think you deserve. That's why the hope of glory and the hope of eternal life and all those hopes don't move you or change you. You also live under such grace that the sin that you're in doesn't seem too bad to you. Your sin isn't real to you. Hope is not real to you. Why? Because Jesus is not real enough to you. In order to wait quietly with hope, you have to know him so intimately and you have to walk so closely with him and that you do that by praying with submission, believing with obedience, and then you can wait with hope. And then Jesus will become very real to you, more real than the chair you're sitting on, because he is. Fourth and final thing, you mean she's finally going to stop talking? <laughs> Be enraptured by his glory through worship. How can we walk closely to the Lord that we shine for him? How can he become so real that we can see his glory every minute of the day? You have to gaze upon his glory, who and what he is. And when you are enraptured by his glory through worship, you will shine. Look what happened to Moses when he disappeared into the glory of God for 40 days and 40 nights. And then he emerged from being with God, and it says in Exodus 34, 29, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking to him. To be enraptured, to gaze upon the splendor and the radiance, this goes way beyond Bible study. This is not merely a collecting of head knowledge. You don't get to the heart of God through your intellectual prowess, and I'm very happy about that. I don't have any. It is the practice of long and loving meditation, old word, upon the majesty and splendor of God. It's quiet. Let him quiet you with his love. It takes time, and it takes consistency, it goes against everything that's in our world. Turn off the phone. We need to have a private set-aside time for worship with our Father every day, beyond the busyness, beyond the Bible study, beyond the people. We are here walking on this earth for a very short season. And we need to faithfully represent our Jesus in the short time we have. We need to glorify God in our behavior. That's the glory shining out of us. Behavior belief. If you believe it, you better behave like it. If you say you obey a sovereign God, then act like it. And then also enjoy him as you see his hand everywhere and in everything. And that's seeing the glory of God all around you. His glory is bursting all around us. But if we do not have a worshipful prayer life, you will miss it. And I don't want you to wait until you're 80. I don't want you to wait till you're 60. I don't even want to wait, have you young people wait till you're 40 to figure this out. Society is becoming more and more secular and intolerable of the Bible and Christians, and it will become harder and harder to live a God-honoring life. Sin is normal, and everyone who is living a holy and righteous life is weird and wrong. 
the greatest gift you can give your children, your grandchildren, is that they see the glory of God shine out of you through your humble, repentant heart, through your consistent time in the Word. Let them see you reading the Bible, not just talking about it. Let them see you do it. Let them hear you pray about everything. I pray out loud all the time. The grocery clerk hears me pray. And they go, she's really weird, but she's nice. No one's ever really said that about me, that I'm nice. <laughs> Let them hear you worship all through the day. Let them see you be stunned by the glory of God in everything. That's going to mean more than all the words you can put together. So how can the glory of God shine out of us? How can we see the glory of God around us? You pray with submission. You believe with obedience. So you got unclenched fists. You walk up that mountain. <laughs> you wait with hope. Jesus become very real and be enraptured by his glory through worship. So let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is heaven. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. You can go ahead and start that song. And how unfathomable his ways. Who has known the mind of God? Who has ever been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that he might give back to him again? For from him and through him, and to him are all things. To God be the glory. Amen.